continue our Bible study. We have been working our way through the Psalms. So we have come to Psalm 116. So I'll start with our summary statement for this psalm. Psalm 116 praises Yahweh for deliverance from death. resulting in his praise from Jerusalem. And I'll go over that again. Psalm 116 praises Yahweh for deliverance from death, resulting in his praise from Jerusalem. So a simple outline for the psalm would be in two parts, two halves. So verses 1 to 9, thanksgiving for deliverance. Verses 10 to 19, commitment to praise. I'll go over that again. Verses 1 to 9. Thanksgiving for deliverance. Verses 10 to 19, commitment to praise. All right, so we'll go to our observations of this psalm. So Psalm 116 is what we call an anonymous psalm. There's no superscription given, so there's no author attribution um, for this psalm. This psalm also has no musical directions that are given, and there's also no occasion that is given for the writing of this psalm. Um, The psalm does have some future conditions of rest, walk, uh, walking, the congregation in Jerusalem and praise and and such, so it does have some envisioning of a a future scene, but um, no occasion for the writing of the psalm is given. So to categorize this psalm, we categorize it as a praise psalm and particularly as a hallelujah psalm. It has that term hallelujah there at the end. Um, Otherwise, we would say that this psalm is a thanksgiving psalm. It's a thanksgiving for deliverance. Um, does have a minor element, uh, predictive, prophetic predictive, like we've been talking about, um, that so has a, some future envisioned there. So Psalm 116 is the sixth of the Hallelujah Psalms. So the Hallelujah Psalms, this first group in book five of the Psalms, That's Psalms 111 through 117. So this is the sixth of the Hallelujah Psalms. It's also the fourth of the subgroup of Psalms known as the Hallel Psalms or the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Those are Psalms 113 to 118. So Psalms 113 to 118 were sung um, in 
um, observance of the Passover. Um, so you had uh, Psalms 113 and 114 that would be sung before the Passover meal was eaten. You had Psalms 115 to 118 that were sung after um, the Passover meal was eaten. And so this uh, part of the Hallel uh, was sung by Jesus and the apostles after the supper in the upper room uh, that's referred to in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30 and Mark chapter 14 and verse number 26. So this would have been one of those songs um, sung after the supper in the upper room by Jesus and the apostles. So we've talked about how the Hallelujah Psalms, um, they follow after Psalm 110. And so they are unfolding praise after the coming of the Lord, the coming of David's Lord in Psalm 110. And so this psalm continues that unfolding praise from Psalm 110. And this psalm in particular gives the hope of life after death, which death would be the ultimate exile um, and community praise in Jerusalem. Now, it does have a number of connections um, with other psalms outside of the Hallelujah Psalm group. Um, there are th- these are sort of linguistic and thematic connections. And in fact, um, I'm going to run down a, a list here. And these are, these are um, verses in this psalm that are very similar to these other verses in the psalms that I'm, I'm going to give you. So um, verse number three is very similar to Psalm 18 and verse 5, particularly the reference to the cords of death and the anguish of the grave. Um, verse number 5 here is very similar to Psalm 111 and verse 4 and Psalm 114 and verse 4 pertaining to the Lord being gracious and merciful, um, which that statement that begins back in Exodus chapter 34 and verse number 6 when um, the Lord passed before Moses there at, at Sinai. Verse number 8 is very similar to Psalm 56 and verse number 13 in speaking of the deliverance from death. Verse number 13 um, makes reference to the cup of salvation, so it has some similarities with Psalm 16 and verse number 5 and Psalm number 23 and verse number 5. Verse 14 here speaks of paying vows of praise um, in the congregation of Israel, uh, and it is very similar to Uh, the verse in Psalm 22 and verse number 25. Verse number 16 um, is uh, that speaks of the Lord's slave being the son of a slave girl, um, and that is very similar to Psalm 86 and verse number 16. And then Psalm 18 is a repetition from, I mean, verse 18 here is a repetition from verse 14 about the paying of vows of praise in the congregation, And again, that's very similar to Psalm 22 and verse 25. So you can see that there are a number of of connections that verses are used that are very similar um, to verses in other parts of the psalm. And it does have a a strong external connection as well, and that would be external to the psalm. So that would be with Isaiah 53 and the suffering servant. And it's a very strong connection between that psalm and the prophecy of Isaiah and Isaiah 53. And we'll look at some of those things more as we actually go through the psalm. So the poetic features of Psalm 116 are um, not, not real elaborate. 
Um, it does use a death and resurrection motif, so you're going to see that um, woven throughout the psalm. Um, it it's, uh, does use some imagery. Um, for instance, the imagery of, of death, which could be, you might think of it like some sort of a being or person or some sort of a, a, a monster of some sorts or something that has you know, wrapped the psalmist in cords and is like dragging him down to the grave. And that's, that's imagery that's used within this psalm. Uh, there's also some repetition. Obviously, we have the refrain in verses 14 and 18. And there's some terms that are, are repeated throughout as well. And that's, that's the primary poetic features of the psalm. All right, so we're ready to work our way through um, this psalm. So there's 19 verses, and I'll go ahead and I'm going to read through this psalm, and then we'll um, talk about uh, the verses. I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore I will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord, and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. For the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. All right, so verses 1 and 2 give us the opening declaration. Um, I love the Lord, and, and so on. We have a direct declaration of love for Yahweh, and that's actually somewhat rare in, in the Psalms, and you might think that that would occur more, but it really doesn't. Um, somewhat rare to have this sort of an of a open declaration of love for the, for the Lord this way. Um, so that, that God has heard his prayer is a direct contrast. So if, as, we're, as we're flowing forward in the Psalms, we come out of Psalm 115, and remember that Psalm 115 had that section that um, denounced the idols. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak, and so on. And so Psalm 116 follows right after that. Well, I, I, I love the Lord. He hath heard my voice and my supplications. In, in other words, um, he, he is a personal being, and he's not deaf and dumb like the idols of the nations, the idols of the previous psalm. They cannot hear, they cannot deliver, but he has heard and he has delivered. God's hearing is also something, as we've been going through the psalms, we have, we have noticed that it is often associated with a covenantal relationship. In other words, there's a, there's a basis there, there's a grounds 
for crying out to God in this way and expecting him to hear and to answer or to deliver. When it says that God's inclined his ear, the word uh, means bending down or, or stooping down. And you might think of um, maybe an, a, an adult that would, you know, uh, bend down to, to speak with a child that's, that's troubled or has had some sort of problem, you know, to listen and to hear. And that's, that uh, obviously pales in comparison to God's condescension to us. But nevertheless, it is describing that, that he's bending down. He stoops down um, to hear the cries of the least of his children. And we have a commitment here in these verses to pray to or to call on the Lord as long as living. And this, again, would um, go back to Psalm 115. Um, if you remember, all of the those that trust in idols are dead like them. Um, and here the psalmist is alive because he believes and trusts and loves the Lord. And so he will call to him with his life. Verses 3 and 4 give us um, what you could call a crisis complaint. This psalm isn't a lament, um, as we've noticed uh, typically in the lament psalms, um, the crisis complaint and the role that it plays. It, it isn't a lament, but we do have something of a crisis complaint here. Um, the sorrows of death, and the word for sorrows there is actually a word that means cords or ropes. Um, and this, again, is a verse that's very similar to Psalm 18 and verse number 5. And so it gives us that image. Death is, death is animated. Um, death is some sort of a, of a being and wrapping up the psalmist and, and dragging him down to Sheol, uh, which is the word that's translated hell here, uh, which can refer to the grave. It can also refer to the realm of, of the dead, um, in this case, pulling him away from the land of the living. So he's, the word for trouble that he uses um, is also a word that has the idea of tightness, of, of being narrowed. Um, and the point of it is, is, is the idea of being closed in so that there's no escape. There's, there's no way out. He's been completely enclosed. And even the enclosed place of no escape, even from that place, he called upon the name of the Lord. Now, We've talked about this a number of times in, in the Psalms as well, this reference to the name of the Lord. So on the one hand, the name of the Lord uh, would refer to all of his being and his character and his attributes. We can even think of it as the fame of the Lord. But more importantly, when we see this reference to the name of the Lord, it is by his name that he has sworn his covenant. And so reference to the name of the Lord is an appeal to the security of the covenant. And he, and he prays for rescue um, on that basis, calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, calling on him to be faithful to his own promises. Verses 5 and 6 then give us this statement of the Lord. Sometimes we talk about in a praise psalm how you have these praiseworthy acts and attributes of God that are referred to. And the Lord is spoken of here as being gracious, as being compassionate, and just or righteous. And again, very similar to Psalm 111, verse 4, and Psalm 114, and verse number 4. And these are all terms, especially when we see them used together like this, these are terms that, that are oftentimes associated um, with God's covenant promises and showing his faithfulness to his promises, even to the very 
low of death, which it is a great low. Now, the word for simple that he uses is interesting. It's, it's actually a common word in Proverbs for a fool. Um, but it's not the... Um, when you study the book of Proverbs, you know that wi- both wisdom and folly are given sort of along a scale. Um, so there's a number of different terms that are used for wisdom, and there's a number of different terms that are used for folly. And so the, the words for fool in Proverbs, they range from sort of uh, best, you might say, to worst. Um, and so this is, this is on that best end or least end. Really, it just means being without understanding. So it doesn't, it doesn't imply like the obstinate stubbornness that some of the other words that are used for fool do or, or the word like Nabal um, and some others. So when he says that, he refers here to the simple. He's not referring to um, the fool, for instance, that has said there is no God, like we've seen a number of times in Proverbs. But we might say, we might say this, this word here is capturing more the idea of the childlike. The childlike, the simple, the, the just doesn't have the understanding. And that's, that's what the psalmist is liking himself to, saying that God preserves or hedges or keeps such as are simple or childlike. And the word for help that he uses here in verse number six actually means to be freed. And, and we see that, um, that uh, sort of a synonymous term for being freed is used a few times in this particular psalm. Verses 7 to 11 speak about what is owed to the Lord. So the Lord has all of these characteristics and has worked this great deliverance. So what is it that's owed to the Lord? Um, Well, obviously, um, as we'll see as as we go along, um, there really is nothing that that can repay the Lord for who he is and for what he has done. So that comes out in, in this particular set of verses. So we start out here, and he, and he says to his soul to return to rest. Now, this word for rest is very interesting. So we, we read rest, and we just think about maybe, you know, recreation or recuperation or sleep or, or you know, something like that. The, this particular word in the Hebrew only occurs eight times in the Old Testament. And every time, it refers to a resting place. It refers to a, a home, a secure place of dwelling. This is the only time that the word occurs in the Psalms. And it is what was promised to Israel that they would not have in the, their dispersion and exile among the nations for breaking God's covenant. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse number 65. So this reference to rest then is not talking about um, relaxation or, or, or such, but is actually talking about a secure dwelling, a secure resting place. Um, and this language of return that is used fits in with the theme of Israel's restoration to the land of their inheritance. And we've seen that as a theme as we've been moving through these, these psalms in book 5 and particularly in, um, in the Hallelujah Psalms. Also, we have reference here to the Lord um, rescuing, delivering my soul from death, my, my eyes from tears, my feet from falling there in verse number 8. Rescuing from death, and again, it's very similar to the statement we have in, in uh, Psalm 56 and verse 13. 
he has been rescued from tears and from stumbling. Stumbling um, or falling, and, and it's, it, it's something that is oftentimes associated with, with death. So we have reference to souls, eyes, and feet. And on the one hand, that echoes from references we had in Psalm 115. But we've also seen how that that, that sort of language poetically is used to express the whole person. So um, eyes and feet and, and soul, the inner being and the outer, outer being of the person. And then we have reference also to walking in safety, that verse number 9. Walking before the Lord in the land of the living. Now, land of the living refers to life on earth, particularly life after death and inheritance, which is what the wicked will be cut off from. And so we have seen this reference in places like Psalm 7 and verse 5, Psalm 27 and verse 13, Psalm 52 and verse 5, and Psalm 79 and verse number 2. Now, Verses 10 and 11, I believe, therefore I've spoken, I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. He states that he believes or that, that he's assured. Even in, the, even in the depths of suffering, he is assured. He is confident in the Lord. And he responds from, from great affliction that all men are liars. Now, Likely, he's referring to scorn and mockery that um, came to him in his suffering, and we've seen that as a persistent affliction of the righteous sufferer as we've gone through the Psalms. But ultimately, what he's saying by saying all men are liars, ultimately what he's saying is that God alone is true and trustworthy. Everything, everyone, and everything else will fail, but God will not fail. So now as we come to verses 12 to 14, we get vows of praise or commitments to praise. And, and we've seen, we see this pretty common in the lament psalms where um, there's a crisis complaint, there's a petition for deliverance, and then there is a vow or a commitment to praise God for the deliverance. And so that is somewhat similar, and we do get vows of praise here um, in these verses. And he, and he asked that question in verse 12, you know, what can I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What can be returned to the Lord for all that he's done and all that he has given? Well, obviously there's nothing that can repay, but all of the Lord's benefits toward us do call for praise and thanksgiving and worship. They do call for that. So he speaks of this cup of salvation. This um, is a reference to blessing and thanksgiving, uh, similar to Psalm 16 and verse 5 and Psalm 23 and verse 5. And calling this um, in, in praise for Deliverance, this reference to this um, cup of salvation. Um, the, paying of, the paying of vows that we see in verse 14, and again, that forms a refrain that's repeated in verse number 18. And this statement is very similar to Psalm 22 and verse number 25. Now, um, Psalm 22, of course, I hope, uh, immediately calls to mind the messianic prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You know, Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
So hopefully it calls that to mind. So this, this reference to the paying of vows unto the Lord in the presence of all his people occurs in that Messianic Psalm, but it also occurs after that, his death, after his crucifixion that is described so vividly there in Psalm 22. Well, this cry of paying of vows and such, it comes out of affliction for deliverance with the commitment to praise for deliverance. So in other words, the deliverance realized calls for praise. Now, we have this reference to his people. And the word for people is am in Hebrew, and it is singular, and it, is, it does mean nation, and it is used with the possessive here, his, his people, his nation, singular. And when this word is used in the singular with a possessive pronoun, he, his, my, mine, thine, whatever, yours, whatever possessive pronoun, when it is used with that in the Old Testament, it is always a reference to Israel as God's chosen covenant nation, always. We've, we've encountered this before, and we've talked about this before and looked at different, at different references. So that is the same that we have here. Verses 15 to 19, the last part of this psalm, now gives us this future praise envisioned. So notice in verse 15, um, a verse that's actually one of those verses in the psalms that's probably familiar to everyone. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now the word for precious means valuable. It means costly. It means highly prized. So the psalmist's deliverance from death has proved God's deep love and care for his saints in death. In other words, it's not a light or small or trivial thing to the Lord. Now, the word for saints that is used here is the the Hebrew word hasabim. We have seen it a number of times. We've been talking about it as, as we've gone through the Psalms. Uh, it it's, it's, uh, means holy ones or, or something like that. And it is used commonly in the Psalms to refer to those in covenant relationship with him, those who have taken refuge in him. Then as we proceed, um, verse 16, which is very similar to Psalm 86 and verse 16, we have this statement, I am thy servant, I am thy servant, the son of thy handmaid, thou hast loosed my bonds. The word for servant, the ebed, here in the Hebrew, it is the word for slave or for bond slave. And it is equivalent to the Greek word doulos, which means slave or bond slave. Um, Almost all English translations translate these words by by using servant. Uh, I think some... um, the uh, I think the LSB is is one that has has given more attention to translating that as slave or as bond slave, um, but most all English translations translate that word servant, and it is slave or bond slave. And it, again, Hebrew and the Greek are equivalent in those particular words. So it's not talking about someone that is employed um, as a servant, so to speak. It is talking about a slave. So. Um, he makes this, makes this statement, um, the psalmist makes this statement, O Lord, and that is Lord all caps, that is Yahweh there, truly I am thy slave. I am thy slave and the son of thy slave girl. 
um, and you have loosed my bonds. Now, he has he is stating that he is subjected to slavery as the son of a slave girl, um, reinforced by the fact that Yahweh has redeemed or has set free from the chains here in verse number 16. And then he, um, the, the vow of offering sacrifice of thanksgiving and calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, we've seen how that the sacrifice of thanksgiving is a reference to new covenant sacrifices, um, not blood sacrifices of animals. Uh, we've seen these references in Psalm 40 and verse 14, Psalm 69, verses 30 to 33, and in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 15. Verse 18 is, a, is the refrain that is repeated from verse 14 um, that, again, is very similar to Psalm 22 and verse 25. And then this psalm ends in verse 19. This praise will take place in the midst of Jerusalem, in the midst of Jerusalem, and ends with hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Uh, this praise in the midst of Jerusalem, uh, we've, we've seen this anticipated as well, Psalm 68 and verse 29 Psalm 102 and verse number 21. All right, so let's move on to interpretation. Psalm 116 teaches, on the one hand, God's tender care for his own. So you'll notice that the pronouns in, in this psalm are personal, I and, and me and, and in many cases. And it's, it's, almost, it's almost down on a very individual, very personal level. And the, the description of God that we get in this particular psalm, um, words like compassionate and gracious and um, righteous or just, God is described as bending down to hear um, and to deliver. Delivering even from death. And the suffering and the death of his saints is described in this psalm as being something that's extremely valuable to him. Yet, even death cannot separate from his love. As he delivers his beloved from death to walk and to rest in the land of the living. On the other hand, Psalm 116 teaches the future restoration of Israel. So you have this motif of death and resurrection that, that goes throughout this psalm. And deliverance from death comes with a return to rest and the gathering of his people in Jerusalem. And so one of the pictures of Israel in exile that is used in, in the Old Testament among the prophets is that of death. It is, it is, like, it is like Israel has died. And we could talk, we've talked a lot about exile and the themes of exile uh, as Israel is even now still in the exile among the nations. Um, and there is a new exodus coming, but they're, they're still in exile among the nations. And it's, it's like as if Israel died. So one of the most probably well-known places where this imagery is used is in the vision of the Valley of Dry Bones in, in Ezekiel chapter 37. So I'm going to go ahead and read through this. Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, 
and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold they were very many in the open valley and lo they were very dry and he said unto me son of man can these bones live and I answered O Lord God thou knowest again he said unto me prophesy unto these bones and say unto them O ye dry bones hear the word of the Lord thus saith the Lord God unto these bones behold I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and will cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord so I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied there was a noise and behold a shaking and the bones came together bone to his bone and when I beheld lo the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them then said he unto me prophesy unto the wind prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the Lord God come from the four winds O breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army then he said unto me son of man these bones are the whole house of Israel behold they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost and we are cut off for our parts therefore prophesy and say unto them thus saith the Lord God Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land and then ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So the... the one of the, again, one of the images of Israel in exile is, is death. It's, it's like the whole of Israel has died. They are in the ultimate exile from God. But their hope is to yet be restored to that land through resurrection. They will be resurrected to their, to their land. So this um, psalm uses that death and resurrection motif, has the, the language of returning, of uh, uh, returning to the land of the, of the living, uh, of returning to Jerusalem, uh, God's praise being um, given there in the midst of Jerusalem. And so this psalm uh, does speak to the restoration of Israel as a nation. Now, the messianic hope of this psalm is seen through the themes and the connections with other messianic prophecies in the psalms. So if we sort of look at this psalm in the big picture, this psalm presents us the suffering servant of Yahweh who is brought low in death but delivered from death to praise the Lord in the midst of Israel in Jerusalem. Well, that's, what, that's the picture that this psalm gives us. And this psalm is an echo of Isaiah chapter 53. So think about these key messianic connections within this psalm. So verse 3 in this psalm, describes the suffering of death of the Messiah in the Messianic Psalm, Psalm number 18 and verse number 5. Verse 9 describes the Messiah return to the land of the living 
whereas Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 8 described him as being cut off from the land of the living in death, and he has returned to the land of the living. Verses 14 and 18, that refrain in the latter part of the psalm, they describe the Messiah's future praise for Yahweh's deliverance in the congregation of his people. Again, just as it is in the Messianic Psalm, Psalm 22 and verse 25. And that occurs after his death that's described earlier in that psalm. Verse number 16 here describes the Messiah as the slave of Yahweh and the son of Yahweh's slave girl. Well, of course, Mary identified herself as God's slave girl in Luke chapter 1 and verse number 48. She, in fact, used the feminine form of the word for doulos. She called herself God's slave girl, essentially, as to give birth to the Messiah. And even if you think about verse 15, verse 15 speaks of precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Matthew, Mark, and John all recount the event where Jesus was anointed for his burying with what each of them emphasized was very precious, very costly ointment. That's Matthew 26, 7, Mark 14, 3, and John chapter 12 and verse number 3. And then, of course, if you just think about the Messiah singing this psalm as he has left the upper room, is on his way to the garden where he will be arrested within hours and go on to be crucified. So certainly we see how this psalm portrays the suffering servant being delivered from death. And because of that, because of that, Israel's hope is secure. All right, so applications. What does this psalm say to modern readers? Have two applications. Number one. So understanding Psalm 116 helps us understand that Jesus' deliverance from death is our salvation. That is our salvation. Now, Israel was obviously to understand this, and Paul even referred to resurrection as the hope of Israel in Acts chapter 28 and verse number 20. So we read this psalm, we understand his resurrection is our salvation. We love and praise God because he didn't leave Jesus in the grave. And neither will he leave any of those who trust in him in the grave. Number two, understanding Psalm 116 helps us understand how to persevere in prayer during great afflictions. And so as we read this particular psalm and, and we see these, um, the distress and the afflictions and, and the, the cords of death and all, all of these things in this psalm, and we see how the psalmist says, I was believing. All men are liars. In other words, only God is true and trustworthy. Well, that, that does inform us of how we are to pray. Know that God cares. He cares for his people. Even the, the simple and lowliest 
of his people. He cares for his people. He will hear and he will ultimately deliver.